0: When I was uh, in high school, uh, is when I first uh, experienced the very clear uh, call of the Lord into ministry. I was actually 16 years old, and uh, the Lord—I uh, was at a, actually in Glorieta, New Mexico, at a, a youth camp—and um, uh, went up at the end of a message. And gave my life to Jesus in the sense of being willing to go anywhere at any time. Wherever he wanted me to go, I was ready to go. And uh, many of us have experienced maybe a similar call to that. Maybe not to ministry, maybe to other things. Uh, But all of us have experienced a call at some point in our life. But uh, after the call comes oftentimes, you know, mentoring, right? Opportunities to develop who we are. And as a teenager, one of my greatest mentors was my youth pastor at the time. His name was Eric Johnson. Uh, great guy. Uh, just loved the Lord. And, uh, he, you know, he was my youth pastor. In other words, I was the only one that he had as a student. Uh, no, really, he, he, just, he, he poured his life into me. And I am eternally grateful for his uh, willingness to spend all that time with me, to 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 allow me to begin to understanding uh, who God is, but who I am, but more than that, to uh, begin to practice doing ministry. What does that look like, right? And uh, knowing that I had heard this call to ministry in some sense, he he he. We would meet like I, I don't know if it was every week, but every other week or so, and we meet at a restaurant. I remember him jotting down stuff. They had these paper, you know, like. Uh, what are they called, placemats, right, paper placemats, and every time I would go home with a paper placemat, because he had written something on it, right, and you know, illustrating something, and he was a great illustrator, actually, he's got a whole book of, he would write cartoon, Christian cartoons and stuff, and he'd submit them to magazines and stuff, had a bunch of them published, but he actually published a book that I found online uh, many, many years later, like, oh my gosh, that's Eric Johnson, and his cartoons, and anyway, but he, so he would, he would illustrate stuff for me, and then he'd, and I'd come home, and I've got a bunch of those uh, placemats, Still, right? I mean, pouring his life, sharing his life, when they teach me different things, and then allowing me to do ministry. I, he allowed me to lead Bible studies. He allowed me to lead the games at youth group. He allowed me, he encouraged me to preach my first uh, sermon when I was like 17 years old. And uh, just, you know, all these kind of things. He was just pouring and giving me these opportunities, always an encourager. How about you, right? I mean, maybe it wasn't for ministry. Maybe it was just for life, right? I mean, who's your mentor, right? Who's, who's the people in your life that have helped to develop your faith? You know, we have them all over. I, I hope all of us have many of them. Maybe we at least have one of them. Somebody who has spent their time, uh, came alongside of us, encouraged us. You know, sometimes it's an author, right? Uh, someone who's a dead author, maybe. Uh, someone that, you know, you can just read his books because he's such a prolific author, right? And you, you can just read his books over and over again, and that can be a way of mentoring. But have, have you had people in your life that you looked up to? Fathers of faith, right? Sometimes we also look up to those in scripture, right? Maybe a lot of times. You know, you look at someone, a character in scripture, and usually it seems to be Old Testament characters, but sometimes New Testament. You see these guys, and you're like, oh my gosh, that, this guy is amazing. Like, I've always been so impressed by Moses, right? I mean, this is amazing. Maybe maybe you too, but just uh, this is like, wow, the stuff that he was a part of, and the stuff that he did, and that God was doing through him, and all this kind of stuff is amazing, right? And so we have, uh, you know, maybe that's part of our fathers of faith as well. And in reality, right, all of us are really dependent on these biblical characters, these fathers of the faith who have lived this life following the Lord before us, right? And uh, in Genesis, we are jumping back into Genesis after a long uh, break from it since last November. And and the series this year that I want to go through is called Fathers of Faith, because in Genesis 12 through the rest, of the, chap, the rest of the book in chapter 50, we see four main characters. And these guys are people who were the first in some sense, kind of the ones that at least we know the most about, that were choosing to have faith and put their faith in God. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, These four main characters are our fathers of faith. And so I hope this year as we go through these chapters and these stories of these men that we will be able to learn about their faith so that we can develop our own faith, that we can learn from their strengths and their weaknesses so that we can apply that to our own life, so that we can be encouraged by our failures uh, and also inspired by our successes. However, with, faith, with fathers of faith in scripture or in life, there's, I think, two common mistakes that we can fall into as believers. The first is to worship our mentors. We can put them up on a pedestal so high that, you know, they become our idol. They become the one that we are worshiping. It's all about them. Uh, There's been different teachers, modern teachers, pastors that have become idols really of churches and of Christians uh, 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 around our country, around the globe, where what they teach and what their perspective is, is more important than anybody else. And they become the, you know, that's what we want to emulate. That's what we want to be like. And when we do this, right, whether it be with a human being that we know today or whether it be a human being back in Bible times, we are missing the point. So one of the things I love actually about scripture is that it over and over again expresses and shares not just the successes of people who have followed God, but very clearly outlines their sin and their weaknesses. Because the reality is, and we know this, that people aren't great, but God is. And that's the encouragement, I think, of the Old Testament stories is that we see these guys are really not that great. (laughs) Even Moses, I mean, he messed up a bunch, but God was still able to use him. God is great, not us. And so the first mistake is we need to be careful not to idolize, not to worship those important figures in our life, whether it be in Scripture or whether it be in our life currently local to us, contemporary to us. But the second mistake is this, that that God only uses them and not me. You know, we... Can really quickly sometimes reading stories in scripture quickly just kind of discount ourselves. We can write ourselves out of the story really quickly. Oh, I could never do what that guy did. I mean, Abraham, I, he left like all he knew. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. I mean, he left it all. Like, I, I could never I could never do that. And we can write ourselves out of the story. Moses. I mean, no way. Like, leading all those people, there's no way. Like, how? No way. I couldn't do that. Millions of people. No way. And we write ourselves out of the story. We need to understand that, again, God is great. Not our mentors, not the fathers of our faith. They were just men and women. They were just living their life. They were just doing things. But God is great. And if God is great, then that means that he can use any of us. He can use all of us. Uh, I've recently, uh, actually Shalem uh, and I have uh, been going through a book together, and it's actually a book I've read a couple of times. Uh, it's called Five Smooth Stones by Eugene Peterson, and it's actually, uh, Eugene Peterson, if you don't know, a pastor for many years, uh, amazing author, and just a great guy. From what I can tell, I never met him, but man, he's one of those mentors in writing that I have uh, been impacted by. Uh, but he wrote uh, uh, some, some books that are considered the pastor epistles, <laughs> and, and they're books that that he wrote that were towards pastors to help us give perspectives. And this is one of those books. Uh, And in this book, Five Smooth Stones, he he talks about the book of Ruth. And he says this, this is, uh, I think this is beautiful and, and powerful. And I hope, yeah, it will be an encouragement to you. He says this, he says, the great names in the plot that climaxes at Sinai, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, and the great names in the sequel, Joshua, Samuel, David, Solomon, can be intimidating to ordinary, random individuals. We can think, surely there's no way that I can have any significant part in such a star-studded cast. The story of the widowed, impoverished, alien Ruth is proof to the contrary. She is the inconsequential outsider whose life is essential for telling the complete story of salvation. May we not write ourselves out of the story May we think we have nothing to contribute. Our lives may be very ordinary and normal and don't seem to be very exciting, but here's the reality and the truth. If you're following Jesus, your life has powerful meaning, powerful consequences. So fathers of faith, the first, of course, is Abraham. At the time we are introduced to Abraham, his name is Abram. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 11, actually, before we get to 12, because there's a little bit of history on on Abram that I want to go through before we get to chapter 12. And so, uh, towards the end of chapter 11, we uh, see uh, a first mention of Abram and uh, some of his family and what's going on. So, 11 27 to 30. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Izcah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. So we see, first of all, that uh, Abram and his family came from the area of Ur of Chaldeans. This was an ancient city, actually, that had existed for a thousand or so years before Abram even came on the scene. And it was uh, a city where uh, it was, you know, very similar and close to Babylon. Actually, we've got a map here to uh, kind of give you an idea. Now, there is some dispute over which Ur. There were several Ur's around at the time of which Ur this was and where exactly the city was. But commonly thought to be uh, down there number one, if you can see it. Uh, no, that's not great. Uh, maybe uh, it needs to be blown up a little bit. Down next to the one is where Ur is thought to have been. Uh, the Ur that we're talking about here in, Gen- in Genesis 11. And so, uh, interestingly, that his family, uh, you know, Abram's family, his dad and his family were actually idol worshipers, and that they specifically were focused on the moon god. Joshua 24.2 tells us this, that his family was, as a matter of fact, they think that they were actually the ones who would build idols, craft the idols, and then sell them. That was their market. And so, again, Abram's father is Terah, his nephew, of course, is Lot, who is the son of Haran, and his wife is Sarai. We see also another brother named Nahor, who marries his brother's daughter, Milcah. So, interesting times where, you know, uh, family connection and marriages were a little closer than they are today. But, uh, also, but it's an interesting thing to think. Again, uh, we need to understand this reality, that Abram is brought up in a family of idol worshippers. Now, he is a descendant of Shem from Noah, right? So we know that. And so he may have had some understanding of who God, the God was, Yahweh was, right? But we, uh, it's interesting to see where his family is coming from. And then we see this next in uh, verse 31. And then Terah took Abraham, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, And Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And so we see this move to Canaan. So while they're in Ur of Chaldeans, it is uh, understood from Acts chapter 7, verses 2 to 4, and Stephen's uh, kind of uh, uh, proclamation of the, 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 the gospel message as he's about to get stoned. He tells us that Abram was actually called first in chapter 11 here in the Ur of Chaldeans. And then that was the first call that he got, and Abram left Ur of Chaldeans with his father to go to Canaan. On the road to it, they ended up in Haran, and at Haran, we're not sure exactly what happened. Maybe there's a lot of different speculation on this, but it seems that either because of his father's, Terah's obsession with idols, or with um, perhaps his failing health, that they decided to stop in Haran and stay there until Terah passed away. And so we see this interesting buildup. And and the, the the distance, I looked it up, the distance between Ur and Haran is actually they say around six hundred miles. So think of walking from here to LA. Right? Um, so, you know, today's world. I looked it up actually on Google and it was eight hours and eight eight days and six hours to walk it. Right. So that's like constantly walking. So that's a lot of hours. Right. So it probably took them a month maybe to make this journey, maybe more. I don't know for sure how often they, how many miles they would go a day and and how often they would stop. But this is a big move. But after Torah passes away, then we see God step in again. And that leads us to Genesis chapter 12. So keeping this in mind, his family, idol worshipers, probably the builders of idols, okay? He, many years before, had already received a call in the Ur of Chaldeans to go to Canaan. He gets to Haran, and then he stops. For whatever reason, we're not really sure. And then God shows up again after Terah fa- passes away, and the lord says this to abram now the lord said to abram go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that i will show you and i will make you a great nation i will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing i will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you i will curse and in you all the families families of the earth shall be blessed Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built on an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. So, after all of this, we see God show up again and he calls Abram again. And now we get to hear what the call is. We get to clearly see what God is calling Abram to. We see that he is called to go, to leave his home, and to leave his dad's house. Interestingly, family was in this time pretty essential. This was how you were able to be successful. Family usually stayed fairly close to each other for all of their lives because they needed to have that support, to be able to survive as a family, for protection, for provision. And yet God calls Abram to leave it all, to leave his home, to leave his family. But also we should see in this the reality that God is calling Abram away from his idol worship. The family business, if you will, to let that go, to walk away from that, uh, that tradition and that uh, expectation and that lifestyle, and instead to, to journey out with him, to go where he leads. And where did he lead? He led to Canaan. And we see Abram actually make it to Canaan in short order. About 400 miles from Haran to the land of Canaan. Not quite as long a trip. But again, with lots of people, families, and all this, who knows how long it took him to get there. But the beauty of all of this, this going is also the fact that he receives promises. Abram doesn't you know, just get from God, go. He says, go. God says, go, but I will do things for you. What is he going to do? He's going to make them into a great nation. God promises him family. Leave your family, and I will give you family. Leave your family, and I've got family for you. So God promises to give him a family, to give him a great family. But more than that, he, calls, or he promises to give him a great name. God promises Abram that he will build Abram's reputation. The people will know his name. The people will respect his name. And indeed, how many thousands of years later are we still teaching and speaking about Abram? And also God promises a great blessing. God promises to bless Abram. Go, and I'll bless you. I'll take care of you. Don't worry, I've got you. But more than that, the amazing thing is that I will also bless others through you. That that, that you have within you the capacity, I'm going to put within you the capacity, not just to be blessed, but to bless. Beautiful promises. Of course, we see also this promise of land. That there will be a place for you. That I will have that place there for you. I'll give you this land beautiful thing but what i really want to zero in on this is what god is calling abram into but i want to zero in on his faith because abram steps out he chooses to leave Haran. if you go back before that he chose to left Ur of chaldeans and you assume with the the mindset he was going into canaan something happened and he got stopped and then god renewed the call and he said okay i'm going Abram believed God. He believed that what God said, he would do. This is the cornerstone of faith, is that we take God at his word. That when he says something, he will make it happen. He will do it. If he promises it, he's going he's to do it for us. This is why the promises of God are so important for us to understand. Because those are the things that we can hang on to as we are in trouble, as we are struggling. Abraham believed God. And the amazing thing, I, I love Revelation 4. If you have never uh, read Revelation 4, it, it spends a lot of time actually on Abraham. It's all pretty much all about Abraham and his faith. In Romans chapter 4, we read a little bit of it already this morning. For what does Scripture say in verse 3? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed, and he was declared righteous. The the amazing thing is, is this promise comes, this call comes before the law is given. This is before Moses. This is before Exodus. This is before Mount Sinai. When we get all of these laws and we get the Ten Commandments, where God clearly lays out what is right and what is wrong. Now, it's not that they didn't have any kind of idea of right and wrong in the time of Abram, but it hadn't been written down. It hadn't been laid out. It wasn't clear. And Abram was called to go. And just by simply going, he was declared righteous. Not because of how he lived, because we will see that over and over again, he stumbles a bit from our understanding of the law nowadays, right? And we can look back and say, okay, that was probably not the best thing. But those things didn't interrupt God's fulfilling of the promise. And those things didn't actually interrupt Abraham being seen as righteous. Because our righteousness is dependent on our faith in the one who is righteous. <laughs> Abram is a beautiful example, I think, for us today. Because, as we know, the reality is, all of us have been called. Everyone here, everyone is called. Now, some of us may in this room feel like, "No, God's never called me to anything. He's never called me to leave my family. He's never called me to do this or that. He's never. I never felt like God even said anything to me." No, God is calling. We may not hear it, but God is calling and he has called all of us. He desires that none should perish. He wants all of us to come. And what does he want? He wants us to simply follow him. What is Jesus's words? Take up your cross and follow me in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. We all have been called to follow. It's the same call that Abram received. And the promises are the same as well. Jesus tells us to follow him. And we need to make that choice. The choice is simple. is to follow or to not follow. Abraham's righteousness was not based on his ability to do right things. But his righteousness was based on the ability to believe that God is who he says he is. And that he will do the things that he says he will do. And then he would go. He would leave his family and he would follow wherever the Lord led. That is the same choice we all have, and in essence, maybe the only choice we can make. The choice, the most important choice that any of us can make, is whether we will surrender our will to God or whether we will allow Him to be sovereign of our life, to be in control. Do we surrender or are we going to be in control? I just said the same thing twice. That was kind of weird. Sorry about that. There was no or in there. I don't know why. Anyway, so do we surrender or are we in control? We let him be in control or are we going to be in control? Thank you for, you know, like going with it though. You, You got it. And it's big and small things that God calls us into. The big one, of course, is follow Jesus. But then after that, there's so many other times when he calls. He calls us sometimes to leave our country indeed. Last couple of weeks, we saw people that God has called out of their homeland to go to strange lands to share the love of Jesus with others. But sometimes He's just going to call us to get off our couch. That feels like leaving, <laughs>
1: <laughs> leaving our
0: homeland. <laughs> <Adversity>. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sometimes He calls us to leave our family, literally. To live in a different town, city, state, country of your family. Other times, he just wants us to leave our family dynamics. Maybe the dysfunction of our family. The sinful traditions of our family. On the other hand, sometimes the going looks like staying. Sometimes we need to stay. In that location, even though everything inside of us is telling us we want to go, but God says, stay. Sometimes it's staying in a relationship that's no longer easy. Everything inside of us says, go, get out of this relationship, and God says, stay. Sometimes it's to start something new, sometimes it's to end something old. All of these things God calls us to. They're part of following Him. The beauty, the beauty of following God is it's not just a simple beginning. you know, God fo- follow Jesus, pick up your cross and follow Jesus, but when you're following Jesus, the instructions continue. As we live our life, we find that, you know, he, he speaks here, he speaks here, he directs here, he moves here, he, he, he gives us words, he gives us strengths, he gives us abilities, he gives us weaknesses, he, whatever. I mean, we kind of keep bouncing around, right? The, the instructions continue. We're never alone. And again, we get the promises. We are children of the promise. Not children of the law. We're children of Abraham when we choose to follow Jesus. That means that we get adopted into this amazing, great family of God. We get a family. He may call you to leave your family, but he's got a family for you. It's a beautiful and powerful and a wonderful thing and sometimes dysfunctional too, but it's it's family. He's got it for you. When we follow Jesus, He also promises a great name. And we, as followers of Jesus, Revelations 22 says that we get His name. What a great name! It is not about us leaving legacies so that people will remember us, it's about us leaving legacies where people will remember him. And we get the great promise of blessing. Not only the amazing grace that we receive, but the opportunity then to pass that grace on to others. That as we are blessed, so is the world. And so God calls us all, and he promises the same promises that he promised to Abraham, he promises to us, even a land that we can look forward to someday. John chapter 14, verses one to three. I'm going to prepare a place for you. So how do we access the promises? Through faith. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? Jesus. I mean, we know, you know, if we've been around a while, we know what the Bible says. You know, God, He's good, right? Do we trust that He's good? Or when life starts to get really chaotic and ugly, do we begin to go, oh, I don't know, God, if you're really good? Do we trust that He loves us? Do we really trust it? Trust that He's sovereign. We trust that he can use you, right? Can, can he use me? Can he use you? Can, can he? I, I think this is where we fall down many times. There's too many Christians that don't think God can use them. Don't think God speaks to them. Don't think that God has anything for them. Now, I'm not saying that it's going to be great. It's not going to be beautiful. Matter of fact, most of us, or many of us, need to at least you know, bring down the expectations a little bit. We get too focused on the world and doing great things here. May we start living our lives so that there's great things happening in heaven. We may not see it here. No one may know our name. But if Jesus does, we're okay. So do we, do we believe these things? Do we trust Jesus? Are we putting our faith in Jesus? Are we following him wherever he leads? Are we focused on him? Are we listening and trusting that he is righteous? even when I'm not. (laughs) Abram is a great example for us because in some sense, he's the first one that God called, but he wasn't the last one. And with that call and the promise, we can step boldly in Because we have the example before us. We don't step out blindly. You know, God calls us, but he's called before. He's given us scripture, right? We can see these stories. We can see that God called Abram. And what happened? Was God faithful? (laughs) We see the rest of the story. You know, the amazing thing is, is, some of the promises Abram never fully got to realize while he was alive. But all of those things came to be. Again, what are we looking at? Our eyes in the world, the physical? Are we recognizing the spiritual things that God is doing? the, The story of Abram gives us this span of a lifestyle, but more than that, of generations to prove and to show, to reveal that God indeed is faithful, that he will do what he's promised. And so we today get this luxury of having examples That when Jesus calls us to do crazy things, things that doesn't make sense, things that are hard for us, things that we're not equipped to do, things that we can't do on our own, that we know that he is faithful. And if he's called us, he will use us for his glory. And we may never get to see the results of that in our lifetime. We may never see the full benefit of that. But God is good and he is faithful. Worship team, why don't you come up as we transition into communion? Have you experienced the call of Jesus? Have you heard his voice? This morning, as we practice communion, take time to have this meal together. It's for the ones who've been called and who've responded with faith. So if you are, if you have responded, if you have believed that Jesus can do what he says he's gonna do and have stepped out and followed him then you're welcome to join us this morning for communion. You don't have to be a member of this church or any other alliance church. You're welcome. But as we do so, I, I, my hope maybe this morning is for us to remember. Remember his voice, remember his call. And the amazing thing about my first call to ministry is that the call hasn't changed. It's been 40-some years, (laughs) and it's still the same. And I'm still ready and willing to go wherever God leads to do whatever He calls me to at any moment, any time. And so the call that you've received in your life to come to Christ, maybe the call to ministry, whatever it may be, that oftentimes those calls will stick with you for your whole life. And so I want you to remember this morning. Remember that call. But more than that, I want you to ask, let's ask Jesus to, to renew that call this morning. Renew the call that He has on our life, that we would come and follow Him. They would be willing to go wherever He leads, to do whatever He calls us into, no matter how crazy it is. You know, by partaking in this, we're saying that we believe. We believe that Jesus is who He says He is. But more than that, it's a a recommitment every time. Jesus, I believe who you are. I believe you say you are who you say you are. But more than that, Jesus, I'm going to renew my commitment to put my faith in you, to trust you, and to follow you. Let's do that together this morning. Roman, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is with his disciples here and just to remind us of the beginning of this communion. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat this. Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sin. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So we're going to ask uh, you to come forward, invite you to come forward. If you do come forward, please come on the outside aisle and receive the elements, and then you can return to your seat down the middle aisle. Um, And then when you get to your seat, when you're ready, uh, go ahead and uh, partake uh, on your own. Uh, we also do have elements, uh, prepackaged elements. If you'd prefer not to get up and come forward, you can stay in your seat. Just lift your hand, and one of our elders will get you uh, a prepackaged communion element. If you're on the patio as well, uh, we can get those out to you uh, if you'd like to do it that way. Or you're welcome to come in as well if you'd like. Either way. So as uh, yeah, let's 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 partake together. Please come forward um, and. Uh, continue with more worship afterwards. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for calling us, Lord, that uh, you are the one who pursues us that you really seriously desire that none of us would perish, that you want us all in your family. You want us all to be connected to you. You want us all following you, not because you're arrogant and, you know, whatever and prideful, but because you want to bless us. You want to love us. You want to pour that into our life. You want to give us great things. You've got so many promises for us. So, Lord, help us to respond. Lord, if there's anyone in the room that hasn't initially made that response to choose to surrender their life to you, I just pray that you would continue to call them and maybe this morning is the time. But the rest of us, Lord, that maybe have already had that initial step into your kingdom and into your family, Lord, help us to continue to listen. Help us continue to live by faith, trusting in your promises, trusting that you are who you say you are and that you can do what you say you can do we would continue to listen for your voice and follow wherever you lead whatever that looks like wherever that is for your glory and for our blessing thank you for the example of abraham romans 4 verse 13 and following for the promise to abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For it is if it is the inheritance of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told so shall your offspring be he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old and when he considered the barrenness of sarah's womb no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of god but he grew strong in his faith As he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised our justification. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, if you like prayer this morning, please come up. We've got people that would love to pray with you. If, you've, if you're hearing the voice of the Lord again, come up and share that with someone uh, and just, uh, yeah, allow the Lord to speak to you this morning and this week. God bless you all. Thanks.